Hi, I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. So today, Josh and I will be talking about stigma, which I think is something that uh, that unfortunately exists at a level far above what it sh- should. I think there's this belief that because it is man-made, that because it's a choice, not man-made, but people believe it's a choice, mm-hmm. that I think there's a lot of stigma towards it that, that there doesn't need to be. Because we have people saying things like, well, it's their choice to use. Right. You know, I always joke with people and I'm like, yeah, like uh, it's our choice. Why? And they're like, well, because you chose to use. It's because of the choices that you have that. To which I always reply, when I was in high school, I had to get a shot because I, I actually picked up a sexually transmitted choice. Mm. Right? That's good. Right. So, I mean, I chose to sleep with that person. Right. I chose to not use protection. And because of that... Mm-hmm. I got an STI, so right. that's a sexually transmitted choice, mm-hmm. and that's an example. Not that I did or didn't get a sexually transmitted uh, infection when I was choice. in school. We will not discuss that in a podcast, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. but but it might have hurt at times. Whenever I anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, not really something to laugh about, but it's the truth, right? Sure. Um, but yeah, just like. Uh, I always say uh, obesity, a lot of our cardiovascular uh, diseases, um, three quarters of the people that have type 2 diabetes, you know, right. these are things that people have because of the choices that they make in their life. Mm-hmm. Nobody, when I was first started eating cheesecake, I wasn't like, you know, I really want to have high cholesterol and a bunch of other problems when I get yeah, older. Exactly. But unfortunately, that developed over time. Mm-hmm. Just like I don't think anybody, when they actively use, especially at the very beginning, when I, I took that first hit off of joints... And it numbed everything. And then the next night I met up with the same group of kids and I drank and I found out that the more I drank, the less I thought about all of the trauma in my past. I was thinking, man, I, I want to stop thinking about all this trauma, right? That was right. Uh, my drug solution to my trauma problem. Right. And because of that, over time, I developed a, a substance use disorder, but I didn't actively choose it when I first started using. Right. You weren't like, I hope I can burn my whole life down around me, you know, right. Oh, cigarettes. Let me try one of those. Well, I hope I get lung cancer. Yeah, exactly. You know what I think? Like the definition of stigma is this. It's a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. And uh, what got me really thinking about this was um, I really don't want to give out too much information, but um, we uh, we were doing an event a, a few weeks ago, and uh, we were talking about bringing um, some people in recovery to it, and uh, the comment was made up, well, I don't want them around our teenagers that are at this event you know and it's uh i mean that is just a blaring example of of, of stigma you know i don't want them around our teenagers you know and it's um it's a tough thing to hear you know what i mean and uh it's this idea that you are being disgraced because of the circumstance because of the quality of person that they think that you are not who you have become or or because of that choice, because of 
you have type 2 diabetes. You know, I'm not going to let you hang around my kid because I don't want you to get him hooked on cheesecake. You know? Absolutely. And I think, unfortunately, that's one of those things that, that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, is we have people that that are having issue, taking some issue with uh, with us because of things that have happened in the past. And because of that, kind of like the Scarlet Letter. I remember right. reading that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that you're branded with. Mm-hmm. And in a small community, which I would consider Springfield even a small community. It's, it's a big town. Mm-hmm. You know, once somebody knows that you have a substance use disorder, everybody knows mm-hmm. that you have a substance use disorder. And when people hear that, you know, there's it's so different, you know, from any other behavioral health condition. It's it's even I look at alcohol. I right. mean, it's so much different from alcohol. Yeah. You know, is. it's funny how we normal how, how we have normalized alcohol to mm-hmm. the point that, you know, if I were to go into work, not here, of course, at a recovery community center. <laughs> right. Um. But say I were to go to work at, uh, like, when I waited table, uh, or say I work in an office, uh-huh. and I'm like, oh, my gosh, dude, that Super Bowl party, uh-huh. I was so drunk. Everybody right. would laugh. Yeah. And exactly. if I was like, oh, my gosh, a Super Bowl party, dude, I shot up so much right. heroin. <laughs> right. I'm looking for a new job. Yeah, totally different. You know, right. th- it's completely different when people look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, even though alcohol kills more people than all of our illicit drugs combined. Combined. Yeah. You know, but yet it's so normalized, it's so accepted. Mm-hmm. And it's not that now don't get me wrong, I I don't want to say that there's not people out there that can't drink in moderation, but mm-hmm. I know people that do meth and heroin in moderation. Right. And that breaks your brain to even hear that said out loud, right? And why why is that so normalized? Why is that so okay to talk about the bad decisions you made while you were drinking and um and it's laughed at? Um, I would say because most of our companies, liquor companies, have really good marketing and advertising mm. teams. Right. You know, I've often said that I am so glad that, and I'll leave a name out, but we'll just say, I'm so glad that heroin doesn't have the same uh, sales team and marketing team that our breweries do. Right. You know, can you imagine every time you turned on the TV uh-huh. seeing uh, advertisements for black tar heroin <laughs> or driving right. by and seeing billboards uh, on the side of the uh, road for China White? All right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've got the best anhydrous uh, methamphetamine yeah. in. <laughs> right. All righty then. Yes. Uh, can I get some anhydrous light? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to watch my, I'm trying to sleep a little more. It is. <laughs> It's so it's so true too, and it's um even if we had that kind of marketing on our side, you know where we could reduce that stigma, and, and people could see that how much potential and how much life and how much stuff we still have to give back to the community. You know, for for every one of the David Stokers out there, there's probably a hundred more that are afraid to even talk about what they went through because they're afraid of what they're going to be branded with that scarlet letter, like you're talking about. Yeah, and I think that's why we've got to be. Uh, let me see if I can say this right. We've got to be more visible and vocal. You know, I think that's one thing that the recovery community has done really poorly Mm -hmm. is we haven't been visible and vocal in our community. And because we're not visible and vocal in our community, they don't realize that there's so many of us. I mean, we literally, last stats I saw, 23.5 million people in long-term recovery, 22 million people in an active substance use disorder, which means we have more people in recovery than we do actively using. Mm, You know, recovery is, as Tom Hill says, recovery is the expectation, Mm. not the exception. Amen. Right. That's awesome. So, and it shouldn't, I'm not, I'm not a unicorn. I mean, I work in a place where I'm constantly surrounded by people that are in recovery, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them still sit in meetings and they don't 
actively talk about it in the community, and I think that's where we fall short and we fail people. I agree. I, I can't remember the last time I went and spoke somewhere where they didn't know who I was, and after I told my story that I didn't have someone coming up to me and, and say, you know, I have an uncle or I have an aunt or a son or, or a nephew, someone that you wouldn't, from the outside, expect struggles with or had struggled with or was in recovery and um, or in, currently in recovery and, and have that relation to it. You know, it's just, I feel like you talk about this all the time, that it, it knows no social boundaries. There's no, there's no economic, you know, discrimination. It, it, it chooses anybody and everybody. No, see how white my skin is? <laughs> I, I shouldn't have this. Right. You know, and yet that's kind of what we've done, though. And it's why alcohol, I think, is so normalized mm-hmm. is back in the day if you go way back they tried to make it illegal and all of a sudden we had a bunch of speakeasies and other things pop up and all these underground clubs and it is a uh, it's a middle class white thing mm. middle class mm. white things you know I mean it's okay right you know if you look at like the, what they've done with drugs mm-hmm. um, you know I, I hate to say it but I mean marijuana you yeah, know when right. we first started hitting on marijuana it, there was literally they flooded the market saying, well, you know what? We really don't want people smoking marijuana because when white women smoke marijuana, they sleep with black guys. You remember those commercials? Or like they had those like ads about it. Oh my gosh, it was insane. Yeah, and then with opium. Uh-huh. You know, well, yeah. we don't want opium to be legalized because then we're going to have white girls sleeping with Chinese, you know, with all right, these oriental yes. people. So literally a lot of it started off in it, it, with racism uh-huh. and it has, it's never gone away. Yeah. You know, uh, when I talk about people being able to recreationally use, mm-hmm. um, heroin and methamphetamine, people laugh at me, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, well, there's nobody out there that can, I've known tons of people, you, you know, I tell a story yeah. uh, about when I was dealing meth back in the day, I had a couple and they owned their own business mm-hmm. and two weeks, they went on two weeks a year. They went on vacation with their kids. And two weeks a year, they took their kids to the grandparents. They did it every six months. They'd take their kids to grandparents. They'd come to me. they get an eight ball. They'd get a, a, 10, a 10, 20 pack of needles. Wow. You know, yeah. and then they would get high for five days and sleep for two days, pick their kids up, and then six months later, they'd do it again. Now, yeah. I don't understand it. My brain right. doesn't understand it because I can't use a moderation. No. But yet, I shouldn't assign that to everybody else. Right. It's not true. You, you know, know. You know, for me, it was a totally different. I remember... Uh, I had gotten clean for a minute, and I had a, a relative come over and said, you know, if you just sprinkle a little bit of meth in your coffee, it'll just give you a pick-me-up in the morning. No big deal. And so I thought, Man, that's a good idea. I'm going <laughs> to sprinkle a little meth in my coffee. I won't get hooked on it. And, you know, years later, I'm overdosing, you know, in heroin and crystal meth in Atlanta Airport. So, yeah, and that's just told, told, totally different contrast to it. And I think when you think about the stigma that comes with it, a lot of times people see see that that part of it, you know, that it's just, just like that. And it's... I think the media has been as re- responsible for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. You know, the media never runs or seldom runs. They're, they're getting a little right. bit better. But even a lot of times when they do run positive stories about people in recovery, it's still accompanied with all those, you know, with police arresting people and a, sur- and a spoon underneath right. a fire with, li- you know, a flame with liquid in it or syringes. Right. I mean, even when they're talking about the positive side of it, they still couch it in all these negative images. They do. That's- and I think that they're responsible for a lot of the stigma. Right. Even, you know, I think I think I saw an article, I think we were talking about it at lunch, where it's, uh, <laughs> you're catching it through your skin, you know? People are overdosing and dying because they're, oh, yeah. they're getting high through their skin, and it's just... Gray death. <laughs> you know? It's just ridiculous. Now we have this uh, 
suddenly we have this gray death and it's absorbing through your skin. It's not absorbing through your skin. Trust me, none of us really dug syringes enough at the very beginning that we would have stuck needles in our arms if we could have just rubbed it on. I mean, it's the most ludicrous thing I've uh, ever heard in my life. Uh -huh. um, I can't tell you how often I've played with various powders mm -hmm. and never once overdosed from playing with powders. Never got high from it. It's no. weird. <laughs> weird. It just increases the fear. Is what it does. And that's, it is, and I think they're trying to drive that because now if I think that it might transfer through my skin, mm -hmm. I'm going to be less likely to administer rescue breathing right. or to, if I think somebody's overdose, I'm going to be less likely to walk up and try to help them in any way whatsoever yeah, because I I, I'm afraid I, that it could kill me. Yeah. So basically what we're doing is we're continuing to demonize people that are in active use mm -hmm. um, and make it so that people are even more likely to marginalize them and look down on them and treat them as less than. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I think that the Hope Dealer movement, you know, that, that this thing that you've started and that uh, people are getting on board with is this idea of reducing that stigma. You know, I think about the, the Super Bowl party we had on Sunday. You know, we had over 100 people here enjoying a great time, you know, sober event. Um, got to watch the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. And um, which, you know, and people actually brought their kids. It was weird. weird. Yeah. And nothing. Yeah. Nothing we actually provided free child care for their kids. <laughs> um, right. And some of the kids watched it with us, and nobody was baiting the kids or picking no. on the kids. And and another thing that people might find weird is we had probably 80 people. Mm -hmm. I mean, because uh, maybe 20 of them were spouses that uh -huh. might not have had substance use disorders. So we had probably 80 or 90 people that mm -hmm. were in recovery. Yep. Some not very long. Mm -hmm. Some a lot longer. Mm -hmm. And who knows? Some of them might have used within the day, last day or two. I have no idea. Right. We didn't have. We had zero fights. Nobody raised their voice. Zero disagreements. Yeah. Uh, even though we had Niners fans and Chiefs fans. Bandwagon. Uh, <laughs> we're not talk about that. You right. know what? Uh, uh -huh. I get. <clears throat> everybody loves a winner. Yeah. True story. Um, which is why we need to be more vocal about our wins and recovery. Agreed. I'm going to tie that in. That's good. Um, and then everybody can jump on that bandwagon. Mm -hmm. You know. So maybe if there isn't that bandwagon that already exists, we can create one. Yeah. I love that. And but I, yeah, but there was no fights, there was no problems, there was no no nothing. Uh-uh. You know. It was, it, was a, it was a great event, you know? And you think about that, you think, I think about this idea, the stigma that comes along with it, and, and who, how many fights and how many altercations and how many bad decisions were made at, at, at the local restaurant over that same Sunday evening, you know? In, in a position, in a spot where there was no stigma. Yeah, but that's okay because... We just kind of pushed that one off to the side. <laughs> well, you right. know, he had a few too many beers. I mean, he got a DWI. No big deal. Yeah, right. Right. But what if he would have been driving at the wrong place? Mm. Family would have came through, you know. Because right. yeah. then we demonize on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Yep, we do. That's so true. What is it? Maybe you can answer this. I was just thinking this. What are, what are some things that we can do, us in recovery, to reduce that stigma? Um, I am... I push the envelope a little bit. I know mm -hmm. there's some people that still disagree with uh, the use of recovery language. Mm. Uh, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, personally, when I refer to myself, I refer to myself as a person in long-term recovery. Mm -hmm. um, I never call myself an addict. Mm -hmm. I wasn't a substance abuser. Mm -hmm. I never abused substances. In fact, I love them more than just about anything. Right. I abused everybody else in my life right. and everything else in my life, but I treasured and valued that. Mm -hmm. So that really doesn't define who I was. Mm. Um, I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have a drug problem. I had a drug solution. Mm -hmm. uh, abuse also, when you talk about abuse, it kind of, uh, 
looks at something negative that was done to somebody, sexual abuse, physical abuse, drug abuse, Mm -hmm. you know, um, this is, uh, it takes some of the onus away, um, from the disease itself. Mm -hmm. And I know there's some people that don't like it viewed as a disease. I get into arguments with people all the time. Um, mostly with people who have Christian beliefs. Mm, Yeah. They're like, well, it's a, it's a sin issue. And I'm like, okay, so is obesity. Mm-hmm. And yet people still go to doctors. Uh, so is lung cancer for people that smoke for 30 years. Right. So is, you know, type 2 diabetes. And yet mm-hmm. I don't see it it treated the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll just pray it away. Okay, pray, pray it away. You know, I fully believe in prayer. I believe in the yeah, power yeah. of prayer. But I believe maybe, hey, pray with me and then I'm going to go get some help. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's- That's how we treat everything else. And yet, it, it amazes me how much, how little compassion comes from so many people. Yeah, I agree. I, totally, I mean, you see, like, I think we've talked about this maybe on other podcasts about, you know, that overdose spike we had and just the, the venom that was spit out on, on social media. People about, suck. <laughs> right? And it's like, we're talking about people's lives and keeping them alive so they can find recovery, you know? Um, had I not been Narcan, had you not been Narcan, you know, we wouldn't be here having this podcast right now. I had a mom find my number and call me in tears during that spike. Mm-hmm. Um, because she was in the ICU with her teenage daughter who had been dumped out unconscious in her front yard mm. and was on life support. And she didn't know if her daughter would ever come out of it she was in a coma she had no idea if she would ever talk to her daughter again and she was on facebook and was reading an article and then started reading the comment she just called me in tears she because she read who cares just another dead junkie yeah you know what we don't care if these people die why should we help them i mean all these negative horrible things that we've always heard yeah you know let's give it away for free so these people can eliminate themselves from the gene pool that's somebody's son that's somebody's daughter right and it's amazing how compassionless people are. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you believe in tough love. You yeah. know, I give you every opportunity to be wrong in your beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was kind of a joke. But anyway, <laughs> I, you, when I, I have it. to tell you it's a joke, I know everybody Nobody else, else is going to need to hear that too. <laughs> I get it right now. Um, I got it. But, you know, because uh, there is. There's two opinions. They said mm-hmm. there's three. There's really two. There's mine and then people that are wrong. <laughs> you know? But the truth is, like, uh, like I tell people, read the book Beyond Addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you struggle with compassion care, mm-hmm. um, I had somebody literally, uh, I posted uh, an article about how compassionate care works better than tough love. And somebody was like, well, tough love worked great for me, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So I posted my anecdotal. Well, somebody found me, you know, unconscious with both my wrists slashed after they tried tough love. And somebody else commented, uh, well, who cares that you threw a temper tantrum when somebody told you that you had to stop using drugs? And all I could think was, man, for my sister that walked in and found me dead yeah, and had to call an ambulance that declared me dead when they got there uh-huh. um, and then had to give me blood to bring me back because I'd lost so much blood, I, I bet that wasn't a temper tantrum to her. No. You know, yeah. and to have so little compassion that you would call somebody somebody's suicide attempt a, a temper tantrum. Yeah. I mean, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I, I really hope, What I think in my reply, I was like, I really hope that that people treat you with more compassion than you seem to feel towards other people. Yeah. You know, because I'd never wish any evil upon anybody. But sometimes when I read some people's comments, it's hard. Yeah. Sometimes when I hear how people feel, 
about people like me and the people I care about, it's really hard. Yeah. You know. I, I agree. And, I, you know, even hearing that, it almost kind of left me speechless for a second, you know, that uh, such a heartless. Oh, yeah. Thing. And, and, and when you think about it, people look at somebody that's struggling with, with, with substance use, that is struggling in that lifestyle, that they're the ones that are, don't have any compassion, that those are the ones that are stealing, those are the ones that are taking. And it's the, the, the case is, is that they are just looking for an answer the same way that um, anybody else is in this world. And, and unfortunately, they, they've chosen that, those drugs and those alcohol is that they're searching for an escape, they're searching for an answer, they're searching for hope. And what they don't need to hear is that um, you're a loser, you're a junkie, and you, you're better off dead. Yeah, and the amazing thing is the person that posted that, I'm pretty sure that I remember a time when they didn't have their children because their children had been removed from their house because of their chaotic use. Wow. And yet that's the way, that was their, their way to comment. Mm. And, and, you know, there was the one part of me that wanted to comment, well, you're fortunate. I guess they never should have given you your kids back then. You know, right. I mean, I why not be mean back? Yeah. Oh, because that's not in me. But, right. you know, I mean, people showed you grace. Actually, I think that's what she's what I said to her uh-huh. is I'm glad people showed you more grace than you said. No, uh-huh. I said you show people grace your way. I'll show people grace mine. Mm-hmm. That's what I said. Um, because to me, I've been shown grace because yeah. I've had lots of issues, mm-hmm. uh, both mental health, substance use, uh, tons of things in my life. And a lot of people have shown me grace or I wouldn't have the life I have today. Yeah. And it's so easy for us to stand back mm-hmm. and forget where we came from mm-hmm. and show that that hate yeah. to other people. Yeah. Um, and forget all of the grace we've been given mm. by other people. You know, not to mention if you have a faith. Right. You know, yeah, um, the grace that we've been given there too. So it is. And, that's, and I think what we've got to do in the positions that we are in is, is, you know, hope dealers is not let those types of things deter us to keep pushing forward with this idea of reducing stigma and not to throw hate mm-hmm. at somebody's hate. Right. You know, yeah. because that's always my snap reaction. Mm-hmm. In fact, sometimes I mm-hmm. literally type in a reply mm-hmm. Just to get it out and then delete it. Right? <laughs> I'm like, I can never send that. Right, right. But man, sometimes it pulls up my heartstrings because I know the people that are on my page. Mm-hmm. I know the people that are on my Facebook. I know the people that read the comments. And some of them, that's not something they need to hear. No. You know, um, mm-hmm. some of them, their loved ones, I guess, have thrown that temper tantrum and are dead now yeah. from throwing that temper tantrum. Right, right. You know, so... So why not instead be as gracious as possible with people? I, I feel like social media has almost killed that. Yeah, it has. You know, it has. I, I think it's so easy to be heartless and compassionless online. Yeah, it is because it's it removes that, 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 that physical boundary, you know, and you don't, you're not there face to face. It's that digital version of yourself. Yeah. I remember back in the day, you'd be like, oh, yeah, say that to my face. Well, now you don't have to worry about it. No, not at all. I may never see that person again. Ever. So I can say whatever I want to. Uh, But the truth is, you have no idea. Mm -hmm. At least if I'm sitting there saying something to somebody in person, I know the people that are around and the people that are listening and how it may impact them. On social media, I have no idea. Yeah. And I think that also drives stigma. It's really easy to be heartless and treat people with venom and hate when we're doing it on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Uh, Now, I realize that there's agitators and there's uniters, Mm -hmm. and there needs to be both a lot of times. 
I'm a uniter. I will probably never be an agitator. Um, that agitation, that was so much part of my addiction. Huh. Uh, that anger, that venom, right. the, too, the animosity sometimes, the animus that, yeah. that you got to have sometimes mm-hmm. in order to be an agitator yeah. where I would rather work to bring people together. And I think that's why I, I try to walk that tightrope between yeah. harm reduction and recovery and that tightrope between uh, faith and recovery, mm, you know, good. so that so that maybe I, I can help bring both sides together. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, I, I call people out, but it's a little, it's more low key. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do know. though. And it's, I think it's good cause you do it at a point to engage in conversation and bring unity. And it's never that you are, you're, you're stupid. Don't talk to me anymore. It's never yeah. like that. It's to, it's to create unity. And I think sometimes confrontation like that's necessary. And I think it's necessary to reduce the stigma as well. Right. Totally agree with that. And for me, it's more a posting Mm-hmm. articles and studies and hitting yeah. people with, you know, mm-hmm. and trying to engage people in conversation instead of alienate people. Mm. And that's the way I do it. Yeah. Other people can do it however they want to, you know. Um, but I know what works best for me. Mm-hmm. And other people knows what works best for them. And the difference a lot of times is I see people that do their thing mm-hmm. and they're like, well, if you don't do it this way, yeah, you know, I'm surrounded by a bunch of people and all day, blah, 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 blah is blah, blah, blah. You know what? I thank God that there's people out there that interact in ways differently than I do. Yeah. And you know what? Some of those people, I, I, they don't invite me to work with them. And I'm fine with that because we have different approaches. Absolutely. You know, um, now we may find ourselves next to each other and things, but they're not like, hey, David, come over here and help mm-hmm. me bash this place right. because they know that's not what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do their thing and I do my thing. And on occasion we will, our things will intersect, Mm. you know, but, but sometimes we don't need both. Right. You don't, you You know, and I think that, I think it takes a lot to be able to step back and say that and say that my way isn't the only way, you know, um, you know, obviously you're being your faith and being my faith, but when it comes to pursuing recovery, when it comes to pursuing life, you know, that, that, that path doesn't always look the same and and it's, um, it takes a it takes a lot to be able to step back and say I'm okay with that, you know, and I help reduce that stigma. Yeah, we've got to figure out ways to reduce it. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one good way is, is people sharing their stories, you know, and I think being a part of this hope dealer movement, people talking about what they've been through, you know, and, and, and so others can understand what it's like to walk through this, and also understand the hope that comes out on the other side once you have experienced true recovery. And maybe that's what we talk about next week. Mm. Um is we talk about how to effectively share your stories that has the ability to impact people instead of marginalize and push people away. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, maybe that's what we do is talk about ways that I can talk to people and present my story in a way that educates Mm. instead of glorifies. Glorify, war stories, all that kind of stuff that comes along with it. Yeah. Because I guarantee there's pieces of my story, uh, my book. Yeah. (laughs) The, four, the very first chapter of my book is one of those, you're going to hate me after you get through mm-hmm. reading the first chapter. Yep. I think that was done to draw people in, mm-hmm. you know, and show them some of the ugly side because there is definitely some ugliness in it. Mm-hmm. But when I have an elevator speech, when I have one or two minutes to talk to somebody, when I have three or four minutes to talk to somebody, how am I going to present myself so that they want to continue talking to me? So good. You know, how am I going to talk to you so that you want to engage me uh later or engage with me more right right absolutely i totally agree i think it's a great idea i love that okay yeah so let's wrap this one up Mm -hmm. um and in two weeks uh i think we will have 
uh, discussion, depending on how these get edited and thrown in. Uh-huh. Uh, I think uh, next week will be a 10 questions, and the week after that will hopefully be uh, how, how to share your story, yeah. if these are edited right. Yep. And uh, if they're not, then I'm not going to complain because my editor is amazing, and she does something I can't do myself. Right. So thanks, Julie, for all the editing you do. Way to go, Julie. And with that, I hope you all have an amazing week. And don't forget, uh, take every minute that you have to show compassion with people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always say this. If you're living your life to make yourself and the people around you lives better. If I'm living my life to make my life better and help the people around me become better, then I'm doing something right. If I'm not living my life that way, then I'm living my life wrong, period. So good. So keep dealing that hope. Keep sharing the positive side of your story. Let people know that not only is recovery possible, it's amazing. Mm, Any last? I think that's it. I think that recovery is not just about being sober. Recovery is about creating a life and a life that matters. It matters not only to you, but those around you as well. In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe you would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. Uh, there's the Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week. Want to talk about a new movie? Check. Want to talk about an older movie similar or related to that new movie? Check. That's what you can expect from Quality Check Podcast. It's a new podcast on the Studio DNA Network hosted by yours truly, Drew Douglas and Daniel Posey. Every other Tuesday, we'll talk about a new movie and an old movie to see how the film's quality holds up.